Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast with me, Dan Worth. Our guest today is Adia Depatan, well known for hosting numerous TV documentary series and presenting coverage of the Paralympics on Channel 4, which we'll do again this year. He also represented Great Britain in wheelchair basketball at the 2004 Olympics, winning a bronze medal. He spoke to us about his school days, which included several wonderful teachers, how he used sport to impress his classmates, an eye-opening trip out of London, and how he's helping to teach the next generation about climate change and how to tackle it. All that and lots more on the latest My Best Teacher podcast from Tez. Hi, Addy. Welcome to the My Best Teacher podcast. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Let's start by sort of rewinding the clock, going back to, to school days, and I suppose the obvious place, primary school. You know, where where was that, and, and what are your sort of memories of that, really? Um, so I went to uh, primary school. Uh, where did I go? It was Upton Park. The reason why I say where did I go because it was uh, it, it was various areas, but um, we we started off in Upton Park. Uh, and it was a school called Creedon Primary School, which later on um, they moved us out of that building because it was a really, really old building um, to uh, a school called Southern Road Primary School, which was in Plasto. So um, partly in Upton Park and partly in Plasto, but all East London. Yeah. And and again, like like good memories of that. Do you remember it vividly or is it all a bit like sort of pitching together as a bit sort of all gets blurred a little bit? No, it's um, there, there, there were definitely moments that are more um more clearer than others you know like mm. I, i've always talked about how my first day of school was was such an important day you know because um it was kind of my day of 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 gaining acceptance from the other kids um you know first day of school for every kid is mm. is massive but for me i think it was even bigger because I, I I had a disability. I was one of the few black kids in that school. Um, I I not long come from Nigeria, so I still had a strong Nigerian accent. Um, I basically learned English from kids on the street and watching TV as well. Um, so yeah, you had all of those things to overcome, um, and it kind of really. Um, it, it made the first day of school feel very, very significant. Mm. And, and did it go well? Like, did you feel kind of immediately just part of the part of the crew? Yeah, I, I think not immediately, but I, I think for me, what was fortunate is that I was good at sport. Um, uh, I, I always had a natural, maybe not, um, I wouldn't say a, a natural talent to picking up at every sport, but I had a competitive um, side to me. And I enjoyed it, and uh, I, I, I was a good communicator, even though English wasn't my first language. And 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 I think uh, when you're when you're that age, sport is kind of the 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 universal language, especially amongst young boys. You know, if you can prove yourself on the um, on the football pitch, which I did. Uh, and and it surprised all the kids because I came in. I, I've got a disability. I was walking on calipers, uh, which which made me. Um, uh, it gave me this uh, huge pronounced limp. I had one leg shorter than the other. I was wearing hospital boots. I was very short. My mum dressed me up in a pink checkered suit. Um, <laughs> so everything everything about me screamed not good at sport. Everything screen not good at sport. So for me to suddenly be this, um, I don't know, this, uh, this, this, this protege, this kid who was like had lightning reflexes in goal and was able to and was like brave or stupid, whichever one you want to say. But I would go into these hard tackles and, you know, I'd make these amazing saves Um the, the the kids, especially in East London, it was it spoke their language. You know, they mm. suddenly like saw this kid and they thought I had like loads of courage and uh, and that I was um yeah I, I I was I was quite funny because I I, I, always, I always had a line or two that I would I would drop and 
Um, so yeah, it made life a lot easier for me. And, and on my first um, few days, yeah, it, it was good. It was good in that yeah. sense. That, that's, that's nice. And nice sort of memories of that. And on the sort of on the academic and the classroom side, again, do you recall teachers who helped sort of make you feel welcome or just met or, or indeed just, just got on with the lessons and you just thought, oh, I really like this person, you know, or they just had a good rapport with them or anything like that? Yeah, I, I think um, I was lucky that, that school... School was, uh, it, it, it's a funny one because I don't think I totally got the best out, out of school and school didn't get the best out of me, um, if, I'm, if I'm totally honest. And I guess the reason why is, you know, it's just like everything in our society, we have a kind of one, one size fits all um, policy. Um, and if you don't, fit into that um that that group where where, where you know you um you, you you completely uh understand what everything everything that the teachers are talking about or you have um good concentration um or or, or even you know you've i don't know you you you, you you've come to school with in the right sort of mindset or right sort of frame of mind um, then if you if you if you don't tick any of those boxes, then school becomes complicated. And when you go to uh, a, a school, um, a, a state school, and you're in a class with you know thirty or so kids, um, uh, where you're not getting that one-on-one attention, it it, it becomes even more complicated. Um, but having said that, there definitely were. I was really fortunate to to have come across maybe three or four outstanding teachers i think um a, a, across my time in school in primary school and secondary school um outstanding mainly because you know as i said these teachers were teaching classes um with huge amount of kids with complex needs and this is before um we were looking at kids and saying and and diagnosing them with ADHD or diagnosing them with um, all, all sorts of different types of um, I know special needs um, and sort of things. You know, there were definitely kids when I look back at my school in my class who were really really difficult and really disruptive, and not for any fault of their own you know at the time they were labeled difficult and you know and disruptive but if it, now with the knowledge that we have today it's really obvious to see that they were dealing with other battles which weren't acknowledged at the time so to have a teacher to be able to to cut through with all of those complex things being thrown at them um i think was was amazing one teacher um in in primary well two teachers in primary school one was um um mrs uh singleton at the time but she's now I, I think she's now mrs samford and i think what was what was really cool about her in her lessons at school you know primary school teachers are are, are generalists they'll teach everything but um we we would have a swimming lesson uh once a week and swimming was really difficult for me. I was really, I didn't have that much control of my body. I didn't really understand how to compensate for the parts of my body that didn't work. Um, so I, it was one of the first times where I got really frustrated where a lot of my uh, kids, the other kids in my, my classmates, they progressed way faster than I did when it came to swimming and they were um, kicking legs and, and, and leaving, moving off from swimming without a float and going on to swimming a width and getting their badges and all of that. And, you know, after sort of like a month, two months, I was still, you know, really scared of water, scared of deep water. I just couldn't get the hang of floating and stuff. And also the whole body image I've got, um, but because of polio, my legs are very skinny. You know, my body was just different. And I rather I couldn't walk when I had my calipers off and I couldn't swim with my calipers on. So I would like have to slide across the floor and 
and I consciously knew that made me different and that made other kids stare at me. So I had all of that stuck complex stuff going on. And um, Mrs. Samford took some time out and I think she watched me struggling. Um, and then one day, just out of the blue, she came to, to a lesson. Uh, 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 it, she came into school and she had this float. Um, and it was basically she'd sewn about four or five mini rectangular floats and she'd sewed them together in like a it was almost like a sock. But uh, it wasn't even a sock. It was like a, a, a an ankle bracelet. And she said to me, I want you to put this on your left leg, which is the leg that I didn't have control on. And she said, I think this will help you help you because it will keep that leg afloat. So you won't have to worry about that leg um, moving, uh, being out of control. And then you can just focus on the parts of the body that work. And and I did. She put it on. And within a couple of weeks, I swam my width and then I swam a, a length. And I remember going up in assembly probably a year after all the other kids and being given that um, that badge. You know, it was a red one or it was just like a red ribbon. To, to, to say I swam, that I'd swam a width and then it was a blue one to say I swam a length. And yeah, that that, that was the one of the proudest moments of my life. And, and it was also a moment where I started to understand the power of hard work and the power of achievement and, mm. and also the power of enablers, people, other people looking out for you who are not necessarily your family or your parents. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was she. She was really, really um, important, important for me. That's an amazing story. And, and it really does show like the power of a teacher, doesn't it? And that's the kind of thing that that isn't you don't learn that on a course necessarily about that moment. You're going to have to do that for a pupil. But to see that, think about it, come come in with something special and do that extra thing. Like you said, that was the most important moments of your life. And you've gone on to achieve so many great things and it still resonates. I mean, does she know about that story? Does she know the impact? Have you ever spoken to her since about that? I did, yeah. I went. Um, I got. Uh, I was part of a a, a campaign called send, um, "Send Your Send My Kids to School, Send Your Friends to School," um, and we had to nominate a teacher. And I went back. She'd retired, but the school had got her back in, and it was a surprise, especially on that day. And I think we presented her an a, a award or, or something like that. And um, yeah, it was really really nice to see her. And I think she was very very moved I, I I'd, I'd spoken about her before and I think it was in in a paper and and she'd read about it and yeah I think she was she was just moved and blown away because because yeah. that's the thing about a lot of teachers is they're unsung heroes and they do a lot of this stuff uh, I I mean I'm I, I've got profile so people can hear my story but there'll be hundreds if not thousands of stories like this all over mm. the country um, from teachers who've done something for a child that resonates with them for the rest of their life, their lives. And yeah, she was, um, yeah, she was special and it was really nice for, for, for me to be able to acknowledge it and tell her that as well. Yeah, that's great. And, and you said there were two teachers at primary school. I mean, is the other, do you want to mention the other person and I'm sort of in particular about them? Yeah, there was, there was, there, there was, um, in primary school, there was another teacher, um, Mrs. Hagen, I think her name was. And, she oh, she just used to read um at the end of every day she would read books to us so we you know we and she'd read all the classics you know Charlotte's Web and Danny the Champion of the World the Roald Dahl books Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um and it was just it was just magical um I, 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 when you hear a teacher reading a good book and reading it well, you know, telling, you know, doing the um, the voices for all the, the, the characters. Mm. It just became the point in the day where you looked forward to all of the kids. We'd get there and we'd all sit down cross-legged on the carpet. And it was that last 15, 20 minutes of the day where she would read a chapter from from the book and you just couldn't wait for it and it would just take you to this to these other worlds and and it was 
and it would just ignite your imagination. And I think that's where my love of books and my love of literature um, really came from uh, those moments, you know, being able to be to, that, that a book with all these pages that actually looks quite innocuous when you put it out in front of you. There might be like a little cool picture on the front and all the drawings or illustrations are in black and white. But when it's held in the hand of a teacher or someone who's passionate and who's able to really um, convey the characters in the book, it's, it's, it's special. It connects with you as a child and stays with you for the rest of your life and makes you want to read and makes you understand the power of words. We had Presida Cowell on recently, who's the children's laureate, and she was talking about the power of reading and why it's so important. There are libraries in, in primary schools and, you know, the, the power of, you know, reading in a good book, everything you've said there. And yes, it's so true, isn't it? Like you say, that sort of that spark and the, the creativity and the voices and the set imagination. It's just such a wonderful mix of things that at primary school, you get a little bit of time to do that. Yeah, and I tell you, the other thing that, um, you know, ju I just came to my mind now, actually, was the, um, is the fact that, um, when you come from, like I came from my, pa my family and my parents were, were weren't very, uh, were, were poor, basically we, they were in, I, I mean, they came from middle-class background in Nigeria, but when we came to the UK, it was very hard for them to find work, um, of the equivalent that they got in, in, in Nigeria. Basically it was a different time. If you were black, if you weren't from the UK, it was, it was hard very very hard um mm. so we didn't really go on many family outings or family trips we didn't have a tv until the mid 80s and it was a black and white tv and it regularly broke down it was a, a, a cheap tv i wasn't my parents were very protective so it was really hard for me to get uh, the opportunity to go out and play with the other kids so a lot of my ability to travel was in my mind and was in my imagination. And a lot of my ability to see and learn about new things came from books, came mm. from stories. So those moments of the teacher reading to, to, to me and reading to the class, and it felt like she was reading to me, even though, and, and I feel every kid probably felt she was reading to them. Um, it, for me, was even more um, powerful simply because I didn't get that opportunity to to go to to forests or to travel to different parts of the world or different parts of the country or or, or see these different things that other kids might have got to do or go to zoos and all of that sort of stuff. And my opportunity to do that was through books. So that's that's why I think it was even more special for me. Mm. Yeah, again, another sort of very sort of powerful thing to say there. And I'm going to ask sort of a final primary school question, but I sort of think you maybe answered it. I'm guessing that you didn't get to go on many sort of school trips or anything then through the school primary age, at least. Do you know what? It's, that, that it's really cool and, and a good question that you asked. And you're right. We didn't because I didn't because, um, you know, my family couldn't really afford um, Many of the trips, that, although they tried when they that when they um, could to to you know to stump up and get me out on on any trips, but there would usually be the the cheaper ones. But there was a really big trip that my school uh, went to, and it was a place called Fair Play House, and it was this old house, um, country house in these big grounds, surrounded by you know. Um, uh, forests and there was uh, lakes and, and just lots of outdoor space and my school knew that you know I was probably targeted as one of the kids that were uh, come from a poor lower income family and they knew that I probably wouldn't have been able to afford this trip so I think they had some sort of fund or something where they could um uh, and and there was only a select few kids who, who were done who they saw had worked hard and they picked out and they felt that did well could go on this trip and they picked me and they paid for it as well and it was 
probably like it it makes me even want to cry now to think of it because it was the first time I left London it was the first time I left the city and to go from a concrete jungle of just seeing high rises I mean we had a few parks but you know seeing you know like next door to our house was a, a, a dump and it was like I, it, even though it was a dump it was it was where people would you did find burnt out cars, mattresses. There were like rats and it was just like pretty horrible. But there was also trees and a bit of green. And we saw it as our place of adventure. And it was surrounded by corrugated iron with this big thing yeah. saying, keep out. And we'd break we'd break this little bit open and crawl in and often cutting ourselves to get in there just so we could hang out and play in this place with all this broken glass and and, and horrible stuff around it. And that was our bit of country. And then to go to this place out of London, I remember sitting in the car, in the, in the coach, sorry. And as the coach was getting further and further out of London, suddenly seeing less and less concrete and more and more trees. It was just like, it made my heart just go at a trillion miles an hour. I thought I was going <laughs> to die. Cause I was like, wow, look at this. Yeah. And then to go in and, and stay in this like this massive mansion with an outdoor swimming pool and I just learned to swim. And then we had these lessons where we'd go out and we'd get tadpoles and we'd get dragonflies and worms and we learned to canoe. It was brilliant. It was so, so, so good. It was like the best trip I've ever been to on my in my life. And yeah, it was it was like I was given a new set of eyes and and shown a whole new world and a whole new possibility. Um, so that, yeah, was just an incredible trip. I don't know whether that place still exists today, but it was called Fair Play House. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, again, another amazing story. And, you know, again, like for someone like you who's you know, been around the world and been to all kind of exotic places. And it, again, it sounds like that, that though is still that kind of maybe like that real that's the best thing I ever did. You know, that's the best trip because of those, what it opened your eyes to and gave you a new experience that, that, you know, like you said, the school enabled that in a way. And that was so nice of them to do that. Yeah. And I think something we should all try to not, not so much learn, but keep within us. Um, Because I know as we get jaded and get older and become a bit more, um, uh, what, what, what's the word? Um, Not, not pessimistic, but more clear, uh, more cynical, um, we, we can end up losing that sense of wonderment, you know, and, and I, I find the way to, to keep that sense of wonderment is go back to your school memories, you know, go back to those. Cause the great thing about those days is everything is new. And I'm learning that even more now because we, my, my, my wife, uh, had a baby. We had a baby um, earlier this year. He's six months old. And watching him see everything for the first time just takes me back to those days. And and I think if we can all keep that sense of wonderment, that sense of what it was like to be a child and to see and experience things for the first time, I think it will really help us in our lives today. Let's move now from the sanctuary of primary school, shall we say, to secondary school, where things obviously get always get a little bit more, you encounter the real world a bit more, don't you? And it can be a bit tougher sometimes and school gets a little bit more serious. Again, how did you find that transition? Was it was it a bit of a shock to the system or were you, again, did sport play a good part in helping you adapt there? Sport definitely played a part. Um, it's funny because East London, or, or London is a big place, but it's also a small place at the same time. Um, because within your neighborhoods, within your areas, everyone gets to know each other quite well. Um, so you know about other kids in other schools. Um, people become notorious, infamous, and all of that sort of stuff. You know, you hear about, oh, yeah, there's this kid who's from this other school and he's like pretty strong and he's beat up six other kids. Or there's this <laughs> or there's this other kid um, who went to this school and he's going to and West Ham already scouting him. And, you know, like um, Sol Campbell, uh, he went to Portway School um, Primary School, which is in Stratford, which is not far from us. And everyone in the area knew about Sol Campbell, knew that he was going to be he was 
being scouted by um, Tottenham and he was, and then he ended up going to play for England. And then he he went to my secondary school. So it's easy to get a name for yourself within the area. And I guess, you know, I feel like a little bit, it's, it's going to sound like a little bit big headed, but people knew about me as I was coming to secondary school because I was that disabled black kid who was really good at football, who was really good in goal, you know, and there was like loads of good, like, loads of kids who warmed to me in my um, primary school who, when I went to secondary school, the first thing they wanted to tell everyone in the secondary school is, this is Addy and he's really good at, he's really good at football. Um, so that, that helped going into secondary school. But having said that, it was a tough transition um, because it was a lot more walking. So I walked on, on, on calipers, as I said, and, and, and that really took a toll on my body physically because as I put on weight, as I got bigger and stronger, I, um, you know, my legs basically weren't made for walking and I was carrying a lot more weight on these legs that weren't really building that much muscle. And the walk to primary school was the best part of a mile and you'd have all your books um, and I'd have to carry them on my shoulder and it was physically quite exhausting. But I think the toughest was the pace the pace was a lot quicker and you had to get from lessons. You know, as soon as the bell went, I had to go from, you know, my my form class to, to a different lesson. And you only had a really short space of time. And you'd have this rush of kids. And there were like a lot bigger kids in the school. And we had about a thousand kids in our school. Um, and so when that bell went off, it was absolute chaos. Even though the teacher said, don't run, don't run. That didn't happen. And I remember within the first week of school actually being knocked down a flight of stairs I just I just like through the rush of kids yeah. it just battered some some kids hit me in the back as they would run into lessons and I tripped and the stairs were concrete and tumbled down the stairs um and broke my caliper and it was it was and and, and I cut my arm quite badly and I got to lesson late and got in trouble for being late to the lesson as well but I didn't really want to make too big, such a big deal out of it because I I was worried that if teachers thought I couldn't cope, that I would be taken out of school and put into a special school or something like that. So you just got on with it um, and dealt with the rough and tumble. But yeah, that was the, the, the physical nature was really difficult to deal with and the pace um, uh, and the scale of, of, of the school was was hard and it took probably a, a good couple of years for me to get to grips with. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how did, did you did you adapt to the end or did the school ever sort of make any changes in your behalf? But maybe it sounds like you wouldn't have wanted that anyway, maybe. Partly, um, partly. I, th- I mean, this, I think the school did try um, and start to make my lessons a little bit uh, closer and, 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 and plan a little bit. And there was a, a building with a lot more stairs that I think they tried to, move some of my lessons out of that building but you know generally I I think that would only last because teachers would come and go um and that would only last when there was uh for one set of teachers and as soon as that teacher had moved on um another teacher set of teachers would come in and they wouldn't necessarily know about my circumstances um and so and 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 also I got on with it and, and I had really good friends like I had a good set of friends who would like actually when I get got knackered I would I would they would just carry me everywhere like I'd put one arm on each shoulder and we'd just yeah. leg it leg it to up the stairs and to lessons or they'd give me piggybacks um to to, to lessons or 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 someone would carry my bags for me and stuff yeah like like kids kid when you've got a good set of mates. It, it can be school can be so cool. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Are you, st- are you still friends with them now? No, it's 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 funny. I um. So it, 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 when 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 I say school can be or or London can be big and but it also can be quite small at the same time. I really felt quite um as I discovered wheelchair basketball when I was sort of about thirteen, fourteen, and I got shown uh i i started to meet other people with global ambitions i started meeting people my age and a little bit older 
whose ambitions were to be Paralympians, whose ambitions were to play basketball professionally and travel the world. I started seeing people and meeting people who had a bigger picture of the world. And East London started to feel really small and I started to feel quite trapped and suffocated in it. And I I, I started spending, because I had the opportunity through basketball to travel, spending less and less time towards sort of the latter stages um, in, in, in the area. And it's a shame because I had some really, really, really good friends, but I ended up sort of breaking away from them and making a different set of friends, my basketball friends. Uh, yeah. and, um, but I, I have kept in contact through Facebook and through social media. Um, so every now and again, you know, I might, um, you know, drop so, or someone might drop me the odd line and say, how's it going and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I feel a little bit sad. I feel a little bit sad. I've been invited to school reunions, which I never, ever go to. <laughs> well, that seems like another question to ask. But before we do, I would ask about, you mentioned about the, the basketball there. And I mean, did, was that something that came up through school? Was that extra sort of outside school? And was it was it a balance then to manage doing that with schoolwork? I mean, was it a bit of, was that sort of a bit of a tension in trying to make both things work? Because obviously, you know, you did carry through the into the Olympics. So obviously, you must have had to really dedicate yourself to doing a lot on that. Yeah. And do you know what? Before we go into that, could I also give a, a, um, a big shout out to um, a teacher in my secondary school called Mrs. Mrs. Unduka, um, who is a sociology teacher. And um, she was amazing. I mean, first of all, sociology was quite a controversial subject um, back then, um, but it really opened my eyes uh, to, to, to the way the world works and the, and the science of 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 people of human beings um and 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 she was amazing at getting that across but it was also her dedication she i remember her at one stage because i was you know when i was sort of like getting to the period of exams and stuff i was so unfocused and there was a lot of us in our school in our, my class who was so unfocused we had so many distractions you know, there was so much going on. There was quite a lot of violence. It was quite a dangerous period. Drugs were starting to come into the area. Um, you know, it was difficult. And she said to our class that no one in my class is going to fail sociology. She said, under my watch, none of you will fail. The minimum you're going to get is a C. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to drag you guys kicking and screaming um, through this through this subject. And she came during um, during our um, study study leave when we were preparing for our exams. She came to all of our houses every day. She she got a timetable and she gave us all an hour extra of lessons after school um, a week uh, for, for, for everyone in the class, you know, and she would come and she'd come to your house and she would sit there and she would go through each each topic. And it's because of her, I got a double A for sociology, you know, um, and, 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 and she was brilliant. It was just her, just how hard she worked. She, and, and, and that inspired me, inspired all of us in our class you know, because we saw someone who was ready to give everything, give up her spare time. And her husband, which I later found out, um, I think he'd had a stroke and he was disabled and she was a full time carer for her husband as well. Um, right. And she spent all this time with us. So she so, so I, I, a big shout out to her, uh, Mrs. Nduka. Um, But in terms of basketball, I discovered basketball. Um, out of school, I was, it was complete luck. I was spotted by some physiotherapists who were based in um, a school called Elizabeth Fry School in Canning Town. Um, and they, they were really ahead of their time. Um, they had decided or, 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 or seen straight away that um, kids with disabilities were not being given the best they weren't being equipped for life after school. 
Um, they felt that kids with disabilities were being wrapped up in cotton wool um, and weren't being shown what the real world was going to be like. Um, and, and they felt that the best way for kids uh, with disabilities to like learn that independence and gain that confidence was through sport. So they set up a, a, a sports group called the New Enrollers, which is a wheelchair basketball team. Um, and they also set up a charity called the Association of Wheelchair Children, which today is now called Go Kids Go. And uh, their idea was to use sport as this tool, as this enabler to help kids, um, you know, gain confidence, gain communication skills and gain independence. And they would take us away on these basketball tournaments and stuff like that. But for me, I went to a mainstream school. I went to an able-bodied school um, and they, fortunately for me, they they lived quite close to my house and they spotted me as I was being raced through the streets in a Tesco shopping trolley by my friends, because that was the only way that my friend that I could keep up with my friends and my calipers. And they were coming back from dropping off these kids um, from a basketball match. And they recognized me straight away because I'd been in the local newspaper for doing a sponsored walk. And they pulled up beside um, us in this in this shopping trolley, mentioned my name. They said, you're ready. And then they uh, and then they were like, um, how would you like to play wheelchair basketball? I, I wanted to have nothing to do with it because at the time there was a huge amount of stigma around um, being in a wheelchair. And I didn't want to get in a wheelchair because I felt it was just going to label me and People who were in wheelchairs at that time were labelled unfairly. There was this preconception that you weren't as intelligent as other kids. And it just also made you stand out for, for kids to bully you and stuff like that. But they um, convinced me to go to a place called Stoke Mandeville, where they were hosting the junior wheelchair games. Um, I was overwhelmed, first of all, by it took four months for them to convince me to go there. Um, but they spoke to my teachers and parents. And first of all, when I arrived to Stoke Mandeville and at the junior games, I was overwhelmed by seeing so many kids with disabilities because I'd never seen other children with disabilities. And I never considered myself as having a disability either because I went to a mainstream school. Um, and then these, I, I saw some of the guys from the Great Britain men's wheelchair basketball team. They just so happened to be training at that time. and. Um, it was my first time seeing disability sport at an elite level and it just blew my mind, you know, because I was expecting them to see them in rubbish hospital wheelchairs and they were in state of the art wheelchairs. They were flying up and down the court. I remember seeing at one point this guy with no legs go into the basket and then getting taken out by this other guy and him and this guy flying across the floor and imagine being, um, you know, like I was like 12, 13 at the time and, and, and seeing this guy with no legs just fly out of his chair and tumble and roll across the floor. And I was like, whoa. And then he got up, you know, no histrionics, just fist bumped the other guy, got back in the chair and they carried on playing and they were shooting three point shots in reverse shots and, and, and doing massive wheelies and they had massive arms as well. And I was just like, Wow. I was like, flipping neck, this is, and, and suddenly I felt at home and thought, this is my tribe. I found my place. I found my people. Um, and yeah, that, I was about 12 or 13 at that point. And that moment changed my whole life, changed my whole life, seeing those guys play. And, and, and the other great thing about it is, you know, within five minutes, I no longer saw their disability. Within five minutes, what I saw was just these incredible warriors, these gladiators um, in chairs who were better athletes than any of my able-bodied friends. You know, and I, I suddenly had new heroes. You know, my heroes had gone from the England football team to anyone that played disability sport. And it sounds like you, because you said you weren't convinced at the start and it took a lot of convincing. I mean, I bet you're very glad now that those people just sort of hammered the point home of like, you really should go and do this. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's without doubt one of the biggest, most important moments of my life. You know, it really, 
if I was to go back and look at the the root of all of the things that I'm doing today, you know, all of the things that I've been fortunate enough to be able to do today, it will stem from that moment as a young 12, 13-year-old boy seeing these incredible athletes in wheelchairs flying up and down the court and being convinced by these two physiotherapists who didn't have to do it, but who just believed that disabled people or people with with impairments weren't given weren't being given the right opportunities in society and they felt that it was their job to try as much as possible to get as many of these kids in East London this opportunity to 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 just improve their lives using sport. Mm. And as you say, I mean, from that, so many good things have stemmed, one of which is that you are yourself now involved in education in a form with your sort of work on climate change and resources around sort of geography and so forth. I mean, tell us a bit about that. How did that come about? And again, like, you know, for any teachers listening, what are the sort of some of the things that you, you've been doing that they could hopefully utilise and talk about their pupils? Because as we alluded to at the start of this podcast, you know, it's, it's currently red hot weather. There's floods all over the world. There's a lot of it being attributed to climate change and all the debate that comes with that. But as you sort of said, there does seem to be something going on so it's a it's a very important topic which you know is one of the reasons i guess why you got involved in it all well climate change is without doubt the biggest challenge the human race faces um uh, right now and and it's probably the biggest challenge we will ever face uh i've always you know had this connection with our planet with the outdoors i've told you from my stories of you know those moments of wonderment traveling to this amazing uh, uh, historical house on the outskirts of uh, outside London and seeing nature unfold before me. So for me, I've always loved it, loved our planet. And and when I started, I started maybe that's probably about 15 years ago, you know, reading about books on climate change and about how our planet was changing and but not just so much about how our planet was changing but more about how we as a race as people have become less in tune with our planet you know most people do not know where the power comes from or to turn on their lights or how water comes um from the tap to 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 their house we take so much for granted that is given to us by our planet. And all of this is in jeopardy because we are, we're we're just living um, in in the wrong way. We're taking out of the planet so much. And I've wanted to do, you know, I've been fortunate enough to move from children's TV to to being a sports TV presenter to, to a documentary maker. And I think I kind of, in a way, found my place in, in in documentary making because I've always had this passion to try and educate myself and through educating myself, hopefully educating other people, learning. You know, when I do my documentaries, I'm going on a journey as well. Mm. Um, and and hopefully I the, the viewers learn along with myself. It's not about me preaching. I'm, I'm learning all the way. And... Um, so when it came about, I had an opportunity to follow up my Africa series because I did a series on, 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 on Africa back in 2018. And we were trying to come up with ideas. And I was very passionate about international development, very passionate about the, the planet. And we just thought, well, climate change was a perfect fit. And, and, and one of the things that had frustrated me about the whole climate change story was that, yes, it's been around for a long time. Um, but it's always came and not and, and quite rightly came from a scientific um, angle. Um, and I felt with the science is great because the science is the basis of everything. But I feel that a lot of people found it really difficult to connect with the science. And what I wanted to do was create a series which um, was about the people. And it was about how are individuals affected by um, by climate change. That's why I went to the Solomon Islands and told the story through Gladys Habu, whose uh, uh, island of her grandparents 
within 10 years has gone because of sea level rise. Um, and so we made these uh, three episodes on climate change, how it was affecting people on the front line of climate change all over the world, but how that was connected to us in the UK. And I was, we were so fortunate to be able to get BBC um, Education or BBC Teach involved because what we were doing, we thought, this isn't just for adults. This is for everyone. And if if anyone, if it was anyone, it was important for it was it was kids. Um, and so this series was made. We made we were able to make bite sized chunks. Everywhere we went, I would do a little section which would be just for schools um, to educate them. And I just think it's so important. And I f- and I feel so proud that we've created this resource that will be online and it's free for kids and for schools to access, to learn about climate change, not just about how it's affecting people, but also about the solutions, you know, also about what we can do as individuals. So it's not just educational, it's also uh, something that's empowering people as well, you know, to to understand what's going on, but to know what they can do as well. Mm. Which is important, is it? Because if you say to children about climate change and say how bad it is and then sort of stop there, you could almost just leave it as a sort of like fear point. But if you then say, but this is what people are doing, this is how you can help, this is what your school could do, and teachers can, you know, and we hear from teachers all the time who do sort of initiatives in school around all these areas, that's the most, that's like the key bit, isn't it? Like you say, to empower. Yeah, I think that's that. Uh, that's what education should be about at, at its best. You know, when you come out of a lesson for you to feel like you've been given something, and an, another tool um, even if it isn't something that you can, uh, I don't know, physically go out and, and make use of, if, if it's something that helps you mentally or psychologically, well, which is the same thing, but, you know, helps you in all those other intangible ways. Um, and that's what I think it's it, what I try to do, you know, is empower people through through knowledge. Now, not, I, I, I'm I love learning. I love knowledge. I just, you know, at, at school I was, I, I chatted too much. I didn't focus uh, and perhaps things weren't quite geared or, or, or right for me. And I probably had some sort of attention deficit issue as well. Um, but since I've left school, I just felt that, you know, my um, appetite for knowledge is just insatiable. You know, I feel like I need to learn something new every day and by doing that I feel more empowered I feel more ready and equipped to deal with our world we live in a really really complex world I mean unnecessarily so but we but but we can make it easier and 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 I think it's in the gift of the ones of the people of in our society who are fortunate like myself to have traveled around the world, to have experienced so many different things, to be able to give back and to be able to give people that opportunity to learn and to see the things that we've learned, even though they're not able to go and experience it themselves firsthand, because that's the only way we're going to progress. Well, and certainly with your with the documentaries and the, and the, say the, the bite-sized things on the BBC Teach, you're, you're certainly doing that. And I guess the pandemic has made that been very difficult I presume to do any more on that in the recent past but have you got plans to do more or things in development you can talk about at all yeah yeah definitely I mean you're right uh we we it it took almost two years to do the climate change series basically because of the pandemic you know we were we 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 were on our way back from Bhutan um when uh in February 2020 um and literally you know we were getting all this word of uh, this uh, mystery illness that was hitting people all over the world. And, you know, the BBC had given us uh, masks to take with us and, and, and to take precautions in certain places. And then we get back to the UK and it completely hit. We were due to go to China for, and, and the USA for the final episodes. Um, and then we find out China was at the epicentre of it all and USA completely closed its doors to everyone. So the, the series was postponed literally for um, nine months and I thought it wasn't even going to be finished. I thought the BBC were going to scrap it altogether. 
And we finally managed to finish it at the end of um, 2020. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it, it was really, really hard. We, 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 we switched from USA and China to Scandinavia. Um, we were only supposed to spend like two and a half weeks there. We ended up spending a month because we had to do quarantine and things were changing completely. So, yeah, doing what I do has been really, really difficult. But having said that, um, I have got a series which was earmarked for me to do. I was supposed to do it last year. And it's my next big series. Um, and it's I think it's going to be called Extinction. And it's about the next big extinction. It's the follow on to climate change. And it's about uh, the, the species, plant, animal, um, all, all, all types of things that are, are under threat of extinction in our world. But once again, everything that I do comes from a people or a human side. And it's about how is are these extinctions affecting people who are living next to these areas where these animals are disappearing or these plants or all of these different things are, are going extinct. And what's its greater, what's the greater impact that it's going to have on all of us on, on, on the planet? So, yeah, that's exciting. And it's, um, yeah, it'll be a big, big series. Yeah, well, that sounds great. I'm sure many people will be looking out for that and uh, and watching when it's out. And, you know, overall, I mean, just, just thank you so much for talking about your school days. Um, so sort of opening, honestly, some amazing stories. And I suspect a lot of teachers listening to that will feel quite sort of, um, again, that just that powerful reminder of those things that you do for a pupil at any age, whether it's in a lesson or a swimming lesson or, or you know, something like that can just have those impacts because it sounded so sort of clear to me, I think, that, and I think people listening, that those times at school just sort of, you know, they were as integral to everything you've gone on to do, which has also been so powerful. So yeah, really appreciate your time and your insights for, for the podcast and good luck with the next uh, TV series. Thank you so much. I just want to like give a massive, you know, shout out to all the teachers out there. I, I, I just think, you know, teachers, um, schools and education is so undervalued in this country. I, I, I think people um, really don't understand and appreciate just how important it is for our society and the kind of impact that it will have or, or has been having on each generation, you know, and, it's, you know, we, we have to open our eyes up to the work that, that, that teachers do and, and, and they have to be valued more. When I went to Bhutan, I, I got to hang out with the prime minister of Bhutan, who's an amazing guy. Uh, I think he's, Lotte Sering, I think is his name. I've probably pronounced it wrong, but he 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 said to me that the highest paid and the most valued people um, in in um, in Bhutan are people who work in healthcare and people who work in education. And this amazing country. Enough said. <laughs> yeah, a perfect point to finish. I think. 